Welcome to week four of Christmas at the movies. Can you believe it's already week four? And by this time next week, uh, your wrapping paper will be all over your house. And your kids will have fallen back asleep already to leave you to clean up the... Oh, never mind. That's that's not going to happen. Your children are well behaved and they're going to take care of all their wrapping things and put it away. And that's right. That's right. Uh, uh, I am... uh, I'm impressed that we're able to do what it is we're able to do. And and so before I get too invested into the story this morning and, and we introduce the movie, I, I just want to give some accolades because there's a lot of work that goes into uh, this. Uh, this doesn't just happen. I know 80% of the people that come to any given church just show up on Sunday and church just happens. As if by magic somebody pulls a, a lever and things just spring up, but there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, and so um, our tech team, our media team, uh, our, our crew that does all the decorating, the, the creative team, the ushers, they get, forget about all the time, and I pick on them a lot because they're worthy to be picked on, uh, but uh, they, they do a lot of work that you never know that they're doing, trying to keep things decent and in order and, and head in the right direction, especially on days like this where there's so many moving parts and you've got popcorn and drinks and tickets and all that. that. That all happens because we have a design and we implement it and there's administration behind the scenes. But I want just going to give our volunteers a thank you for all, everything that they do. We appreciate you. We really do. Uh, you know, Kristen and doing the... the technical part and putting and the the splicing the the movies together and and keeping all that going and the lights and and all the lighting that goes on and uh, all of that all that has to be done yes it's 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 quite amazing actually that we're able to do what it is where but I, I think that's why God put us where he put us and he transferred us to this location and gave us the ability and the building and 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 enough equipment to do what it is that we want to do and and this coming season, God's already been speaking to me. I'm already putting sermons together. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds, but a lot of things are going to change in a lot of people's lives in this coming season. The Spirit's been revealing things to me, and, and, the, and the Spirit is going to speak expressly uh, in this coming season. So um, this, this, this is a Christmas to enjoy, and, and, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful to pastor this group of people. I'm thankful to be part of this church body. 21 years, and, and we, had more, we had as many people on this stage this morning as we had in this church when I came here 21 years ago. God is good, and He has been faithful. And I'm grateful, and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you coming. I'm thankful for you supporting uh, Christmas at the Movies, and I pray it's been a blessing. So this morning's movie uh, is different than the other three that we have looked at this year because uh, so far we've looked at movies that were expressly about Christmas. And while this one was also just about Christmas. It is a, indeed a Christmas movie. It was also a blockbuster. Uh, it, was, it was seen by millions of people when it first was released in theaters. Uh, unlike some of the others, like Rudolph was released on television. It wasn't in theaters and it was not really a, a blockbuster. This movie is one of those movies that, um, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, I, I don't care for it. It's a little bit weird. And yet the message, I have purposely positioned this movie at the end of Christmas at the Movies because the message in it is better than any other that I have been able and privileged to preach this this year. So uh, without further ado, let's watch the trailer together.
He said Santa would have to fly faster than the speed of light to get to everyone's house in one night. He wasn't sure Santa was for real. more like it. There is the North Pole. This week we're going to watch the Polar Express. I got a confession to make before we get started. Um, and, and I have traced it back to my childhood and my upbringing. And when I was, uh, when I was little, uh, things that were taught to me, uh, and now I know why they were taught to me. It's not important that we delve into them, but I just want you to, I just want to give you a disclaimer up front. For years of my life, I, I really didn't care for the Christmas season. And, and let, me, let me put a disclaimer. I wasn't a Scrooge or a Grinch. I wasn't against it. I just wasn't into it. Like, I was indifferent. Until about 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve, I could take Christmas or leave Christmas. I, I didn't get really involved in going out and doing the shopping thing and all the wrapping thing. And, and I, just, I was just sort of indifferent about Christmas. It, it wasn't something that... I really looked forward to, and it wasn't something that I was really invested in. And, and I loved Christmas Day. I, I did. I loved Christmas Day. So I wasn't like anti-Christmas. I just wasn't one of these people that were really invested in Christmas. My wife, however, like five weeks before Christmas, would start with the Christmas songs on repeat does anybody know this phenomenon? Yeah, anybody got any weird people in their life? Um, if, if I have to hear Mariah Carey sing, All I Want for Christmas is You one more time, I, I might pull all the rest of my hair out. It was just on repeat, because back then, I'm talking about when our kids were little, uh, which means we had CDs. For all the people under 30 in the audience, CDs were these ancient things that we used uh, that we used to transcribe music onto in the times before Apple Music was invented. Uh, it was on repeat, and we only had about two CDs. And so it would just be one right after another. Nicole C. Mullen, followed by Mariah Carey, followed by Nicole C. Mullen, followed by Mariah Carey. And those cheesy Hallmark Christmas uh, movies. Ugh. So no wonder I wasn't like really into Christmas, you understand. But children have a way of drawing Christmas 
out of you. And now that we have a grandbaby, and even though she's not even going to remember this Christmas, I, I, I'm getting older. Maybe it's because I'm getting older and I realize I don't have a whole lot of Christmases left to waste. Uh, but I, I really get into Christmas now. Christmas at the movies is my favorite thing that we do all year long. Um, and, and I look forward to it for months. I'm already writing sermons uh, about things. So I, I, get, I get into Christmas now. But um, the reason I bring that up is because our movie is about a young boy who goes to bed on Christmas Eve. And he's having a crisis of faith. He's at that age where he's not sure whether he still believes in Santa Claus. So he goes to bed on Christmas Eve wondering, is Santa going to show up? And at the same time, he's, he's equally sure that Santa doesn't exist. So it's actually a, a, a very good implication of a lot of you. When we talk about our faith walk, where we have read the story, we've heard the sermons... We know that Jesus does this, that, and the other. But at the same time, is he going to show up and do it for me? That's called, a, that's called an existential crisis of faith. And we all go through it. And, and so as we look at the movie this morning, I just, want to, I, I, I just want to break down this little boy's conundrum. Because I think it's going to resonate with a lot of you. He, he tells his little sister why Santa can't exist. He says stuff like this. It is impossible for one man to make that trip in one night. He, he tells his little sister, his sleigh would have to be the size of an ocean liner to carry that many toys. And, and then you watch the little boy before he, goes, he gets up out of bed and he goes over and he pulls out a drawer where he has accumulated a lot of articles and he's got books. And all of these articles are about how sand is not real and the books are about how nobody can exist at the North Pole because it's too cold and and and, and then he starts watching the department store Santas and some of them aren't acting very Santa like and so when you tell little kids that that's Santa and they see them not acting like Santa it causes a crisis of their faith and just like that little boy in the Polar Express, there's a lot of different people in this room that struggle with faith. I'm one of them. There's a lot of reasons why we lose our faith. There's a lot of reasons why we used to believe something that we don't believe now. And like this little boy in the movie, some of us are busy collecting evidence that proves that God isn't who He says He is. He may do it for you, but I don't think He'll do it for me. My life has been hard. I've went through some things that I shouldn't have had to go through. And if God was as good as he says he is, and I used to believe he was, why did I suffer like this? Why, why has my family fallen apart? Why did I lose the job? Why have I lost my home? Why, why have I gotten sick? Why did mama die? All of these things that I used to believe about God, now I question about God. And there's some of us, some of us, the reason you don't believe the things you used to believe is because you've been around the department store Christians. And they're not acting very Christ-like. Just like the department store Santas put a bad taste in this little boy's mouth, some of you got into church thinking everybody in church was just like Jesus. <laughs> and you found Walmart Christians. And you didn't realize that some of them was as jacked up as you were. 
and you thought that they were going to be perfect and do right and talk right and, and think right and, and behave right all the time. And when they didn't, it made you back down from what you used to believe. So while the little boy's trying to go to sleep, he hears these strange sounds out on the lawn. And there's flashing lights coming through his mirror and uh, through the window. And, and he runs outside to see what's happening. And he finds a huge train on his front lawn. Coming? Where? Why, to the North Pole, of course! This is the Polar Express! The North Pole? I see. Hold this, please. Thank you. Is this you? Yeah. Well, it says here, no photo with the department store of Santa this year. No letter. To Santa, and you made your sister put up the milk and cookies. Mm -mm. Sounds to me like this is your crucial year. If I were you, I would think about climbing on board. Come on, come on, come on. I've got a schedule to keep. Oh! Suit yourself. So this was a moment of the testing of his faith. He was invited on board the train. And would he believe the message and get on board? He had to put himself on the train. He had an invitation, but he had to take up action. Because faith will always require action. Faith will never envelop you to the point to where you don't have to take action yourself to make something happen. So the little boy heard the invitation. Are you coming? This was, the, this was the moment where he had to first decide. Do I still want to believe? That, that, that's the first step to you getting back what you lost. Is do you still want to believe? And the little boy was invited onto the train. And he had to take the action step to put himself on board. Now, there's a lot of adventures that starts happening on the Polar Express. And uh, some of them uh, we're not going to have time to talk about. But one thing that I do want to focus on is 
immediately uh, following the, the, them getting on course to the North Pole, he ends up on the top or the roof of the train. And it's there that he meets a hobo. And the hobo asks or presents the most important question of the whole movie. Let's take a look at it. Not that I have much use for those tickets. I ride for free. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hop aboard this Rattler anytime I feels like it. I own this train. It's like I'm the king of this train. Yeah, the king of the Polex. In fact, I am the king of the North Pole! Oh, where's my man? Sit, sit. Sit, sit, sit. Take a, take a load off it. Hey, would you like some Joe? Nice, hot refreshment. Perfect for a cold winter's night. down the primrose path. You don't want to be caught or duped. Have the wall pulled over your eyes. Hoodwinked. You don't want to be taken for a ride. Railroaded. Seeing is believing. Am I right? So this scene is so important because it's the first time that we see that the little boy wants to believe. But he's also presented with this question that can you believe something if you can't see it? As the hobo explains to him, he says, seeing is believing as if it's a declarative, definitive statement. As if whatever you see, you can believe. But if you can't see it, there's no way you can believe in it. But I've lived enough days to know that my eyes will lie to me. That just because I see something doesn't mean I should necessarily believe it. And there's been plenty of things that I found out that I never saw, but were very real. So, in other words, a lot of people, a lot of people don't believe anything unless they can back it up with evidence. And, and it sounds reasonable. But let's take a look at the scriptures in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the Christmas story together. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now that's an important name for my sermon this morning. About the time there were wise men from eastern lands and they arrived at Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star. We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, 
Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from the time when, they first, when the star first appeared. And they told him, go to Bethlehem. Or he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So I'm going to introduce to you two characters or two groups of characters in this story this morning. The first, and we're, we're introduced to both of them in verse 1. There's Herod the Great, who is the king. And then there are these wise men. We call them wise men. Some people call them magi. Uh, the King James calls them uh, magi. And the Bible says that they saw a star. That's very important for you to understand because uh, of who they are and what that star would represent to them. They saw a star in the east and it rested over Jerusalem. And they thought that that meant that there was a king being born. And he would be the king of the Jews. And so they were on their way to worship the newborn king. That's the story of Christmas, right? But on the way, they run into the actual king, King Herod. He's called King Herod the Great. And it's here that we run into the first problem that a lot of people have. The relationship between evidence and faith. See, there's some things that you can prove are true. And then there's other things that you're asked to believe that you're not going to have any proof for. I'm going to talk to you exclusively this morning. And we're going to use the little boy and the Polar Express as the backdrop. But I'm going to talk to you exclusively about these two different relationships that Herod the Great had with evidence and these wise men and their relationship with evidence. Because I'd like for us to take for a few moments the evidence that Matthew gives us here. He gives us evidence in verse 1 that there was a king named Herod the Great. Now you can go back and read history books and you'll find out Herod the Great was an actual man. He, he also tells us that there, it was happening in a place called Bethlehem of Judea. You can go there today and Bethlehem still exists today. There's evidence of this story happening place. Now, over the centuries... Christmas traditions have built up layers of stories around these wise men. And the truth is, we don't know a whole lot about them. I'm not trying to mess your Christmas story up this morning. And I don't want you to go home and burn your nativity scene. But the Bible never said that there were three of them. The Bible never said that they showed up when Jesus was in the manger. The Bible never said that uh, they had names. I don't know who decided we were going to give them names. And the names we gave them are 17 letters long. I don't know who decided. But the Bible doesn't tell us any of those things. Those are layers of, of stories that we have developed through the years to make the story uh, sound better and, and feel better at Christmas time. But Matthew doesn't, doesn't do any of this. As a matter of fact, he doesn't call them kings. I'm not trying to mess your Christmas story up, but he certainly doesn't. Limit them to just three men riding on camels. What he does say is that they're strangers. They're astrologers. They study the stars. 
they gaze and they, they know what they know based on what they see. And when they saw the star, being astrologers, they knew that Micah chapter 5 had told them that there was going to be a king born in Bethlehem. And that because they study stars, they believed that a star rising in the east was an indicator that a king had been born. So they began to follow what they could see. Are you with me? Following what you can see is not a bad thing. I like following what I can see. If I go to Pittsburgh, I want to see all the signs. Because I get upset and beside myself when there should have been a sign and there wasn't one. If it needs me to get over in the right lane, tell me. But tell me before the exit. Not after I've already passed it and I see where I need to be and now i got to go up nine exits and circle back around. No, tell me in advance. I like reading signs. So following what you can see isn't bad. But the problem is when all you depend on is what you can see. See, the thing about Matthew is he doesn't... He doesn't take a lot of time to tell us who these men were or where they came from. What he's interested in is telling us who they came to see. They followed what they could see, but they weren't sure who they were looking for. See, they they had no idea what his parents looked like. They had no idea how old the baby would be. They didn't know exactly what his address was. They were seeing a star and they began following what they could see even though they didn't have all the details. And that's what faith really is. Now when you take them uh, following what they can see and then you look at Herod. Herod saw the same thing they saw. Because the Bible says he called them in for a meeting. He asked them why they were following Uh, looking for a king and they said we saw a star the star said that we should go to Bethlehem then he asked all of the preachers in his community and and the preachers all said yes the Bible says that there's going to be a king born in Bethlehem and that's just a few miles down the road and Herod tells these wise men I want you to do me a favor I want you to go see the king and then come back and tell me where he is so I can go worship him too. They were following what they could see. Herod saw the same thing they saw but wouldn't follow. Mm. So in the ancient world, stars and planets and moons meant a whole lot to people. And when this king was being born... It was evidence to these wise men that something significant had happened. And the Bible says that we have a history. We have a a history that we can count on. The wise men showed up at Herod's. Herod sent them down the road. I'm just reading right through the scriptures. Herod sent them to come back and tell them it's happening in real places to real people. History is taking place in time and space. But it's fulfilling prophecy that was spoken 700 years before. If seeing is believing, that means that the only evidence you're ever going to have is what you can put your eyes on. And there's a problem with you living that way. Because Herod saw the same thing that the wise men saw. 
But they both had two different reactions. The wise men saw the evidence and wanted to worship Jesus. Herod saw the evidence and wanted to murder Jesus. So just because you see it, if God showed you everything, there's no guarantee it would make you believe. Because He can show you the evidence and you could still refuse to have faith. See, as the plot of the Polar Express chugs on, the idea is that we can only believe what we can see starts getting challenged. And at first the boy thinks he's dreaming. He sticks his face in the snow and he tries to wake up. But that doesn't work because it's not a dream. And then the train almost crashes into a lake. And the conductor, when they finally get back to safety, comes and offers an alternative to seeing is believing. Walking up here, it's mighty slick, mighty slick, I tell you. Oh, what? There, there, there you go. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? Years ago, on my first Christmas Eve run, I was up on the roof making my rounds, but I slipped on the ice myself. I reached out for a hand iron, but it broke off. I slid and fell, and yet I did not fall off this train. Someone saved you? Or something? An angel. Maybe. Wait, wait. Well, what did he look like? Did you see him? No, sir. But sometimes seeing is believing. And sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. So maybe the thread that runs through this film is it's okay for you to base your beliefs off of evidence. But eventually you have to decide that you're going to believe whether there's evidence or not. In other words, seeing, and be- at, seeing is believing can only get you so far. At some point, you have to be willing to believe so you can see. And, and when we pick this story back up in Matthew chapter 2 at verse 9, the Bible says, After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Mm-hmm. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. Remember, Herod had told them to come back and tell him the, the kid's location. He said, so I can go and worship him. But we know that's not true. He actually wanted to go and murder him. So the Bible says in verse 12, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. So let's let's look at Herod this time. Herod sent the Magi on a mission. Go find the location of the little boy and come back and tell me where he was. And at first glance it might appear that Herod is wanting to do the same thing they want to do. He wants to worship them. However... 
his delusions of power. Uh, history tells us that Herod the Great wasn't so great. As a matter of fact, this is not Bible that teaches us this. History teaches us that Herod the Great was so power drunk that he had three of his own sons murdered to make sure that none of them ever took the throne. He had his favorite wife killed. Mandy, you're my favorite wife, by the way. Uh, I just wanted to just wanted to interject that this Christmas season. Uh, but he had his favorite wife killed. I don't know why he would kill his favorite wife and keep the lit. lit that don't make no sense to me. But uh, so he was called Herod the Great because he had re, he had refurbished God's temple. So they named him Herod the Great because he did one great thing. But you can do one great thing and not be so great in God's eyes. Just because you do something great for God's house doesn't mean that you're actually great in God's eyes. Because all the other things that Herod did, because he was so power hungry and, and, and drunk with authority, it caused him to be a deplorable, despicable, lost human being. And when he heard that a king had been born, he wanted to make sure that that king died before that king could take his throne. And that's, that's where we picked up our story. Now think about the Magi. The Magi are on a journey. Now, you have to understand, these men came from a long way away. It could have taken them months, possibly more than a year, to get to where they were headed to. It was not convenient for them to go worship. Herod was only three miles from Bethlehem. Herod could have, in a few moments' time, actually made the trip and worshipped. And it wouldn't have been inconvenient, and it wouldn't have been unpleasant, and it wouldn't have been expensive. It would not have been a sacrifice. These wise men, they had to endure sand. They had to endure heat and cold. They had to take the chance of having robbers and thieves. And by the way, we don't know how many of them there were. They probably had an old entourage with them. They had servants because they, they had to have provisions. They wouldn't have just struck out for a months-long journey without having food and water and adequate shelter. So they had an entire army. This was a sacrifice for them to come and worship. It wasn't easy. These men were going on what they saw. But as they went, they found more evidence that their faith was in the right thing. See, sometimes seeing is believing, but that will only take you so far. Sometimes you have to see in order to believe, and sometimes you have to believe in order that you might see. See, they didn't know what the address of the baby was. They didn't know what was going to happen when they got there. It was only after they started the journey of faith that they were able to see the evidence of their faith. See, in verse 11, their faith rewards them. Because the Bible says, they came into the house, they saw the child with their mother, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. This speaks a lot too. I know, I know in the nativity scenes, you know, you're well familiar with the gifts they gave. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But you have to understand, they carried those from their homeland. And you also have to understand that gold is a gift you give to a king. Frankincense is a ceremonial fragrance that is used 
when someone is indoctrinated into a high and lofty position. And incense is used in ceremonial celebrations. These brothers packed up the gifts for a king not knowing what they were going to find on the way. See, sometimes you have to, you want to see to believe, but sometimes you have to believe in order to see. Sometimes it takes faith to open your eyes to see the gifts that you have right in front of you. They didn't wait till they got to Bethlehem and ran to Walmart and grabbed a gift card. Which said to the person, I forgot about your presence, but here's your present. Uh, they, They packed gifts worthy of a king before they ever struck out on their journey. Because sometimes you have to believe in order to see. Herod saw the evidence, but refused to believe. The Magi believed, and with every step, they saw more evidence. So it's okay for you to look for evidence. But at some point, you have to take a step of faith in order to be able for your eyes to be open for the evidence to appear. Matter of fact, some people call us mindless Christians. They call us dumb. They call us antiquated. They call us out of touch because they say, how can anybody believe anything that you can't see? And I'm going to tell you, Christianity, we don't back away from facts. If you want to talk to me about facts and numbers and dates, and I don't back away from those things because my God's the God of the universe. So, so Christianity values evidence. It, more than any other religion, Christianity does not ask you to accept everything by whole cloth and by total faith. God gives us evidence. Evidence of His existence, evidence of His goodness, Evidence of his faithfulness and evidence that through it all, it's been God all along. Yeah, God never expects you to just walk blindly. He, He encourages you to investigate and scrutinize the evidence of who Jesus was and who Jesus claims to be. And yet, the Bible unashamedly tells you that if you're going to put your faith in Christ, it is in every way an act of faith. You're going to have to, in order for you to first see who he is, you're going to have to trust who he is. Because the more I trust him, the more he opens himself up to me. And I'm able to see more and more and more of who he is. See, evidence helps you understand that faith in Jesus is reasonable and rational. But only faith can ultimately arrange the evidence So that you can see Jesus clearly. You've got to start with faith. It's okay to look for evidence. But at some point the evidence won't appear until you look through the eyes of faith. So during their journey the conductor comes to each passenger. And each passenger is supposed to give him a ticket. Now I thought it was strange in this movie that. They all got on board and then the conductor checked for the tickets. Because I rode a train one time and they didn't let me on the train without a ticket. But they put these little kids without parents. Kidnapped these children off the front lawns on Christmas Eve. 
I mean, there wasn't no scandal about this. Like, like parents should have been up like building Barbie dream houses and stuff. And they didn't notice that there was a train in the yard or train tracks in the front yard. And their kids was gone. So these people kidnap these children on Christmas Eve. Put them on a train and then ask them for a ticket. But the tickets become a very uh, big part of what I want to talk to you about. Because in order to ride on the train and in order to reach the destination, they have to have a ticket. And there's a couple of lessons I want to teach you about these tickets. Sounds to me like this is your crucial year. If I were you, I would think about climbing on board. Come on, come on, come on. I've got a schedule to keep... Oh! Suit yourself. pocket. Try your other pocket. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Ah, 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 that is a public address microphone. It is not a toy. Not a toy. Boy, that guy sure likes to show off with his ticket punch. Look at that wise guy punched on my ticket. Oh, 115.44. We're heading for the other side of the tracks. Just another pickup. That's weird. I thought you were supposed to be the last one. Why to the North Pole, of course. This is the Polar Express. Suit yourself.
Young lady, forgive me. I believe I have neglected to punch your ticket. May I? I left my ticket right here on the seat. But it's gone. You mean you have lost your ticket? She didn't lose her ticket. I did. I was trying to return it to you. But the wind blew it out of my hand. You can have my ticket. These tickets are not transferable. So when I was raised in the old church, we used to talk a lot about going home. About a destination. And there's three things that I want to show you about these tickets that you just watched. The first one is, they went entirely out of their way to get this train to the little boy's house. Then they invited him to get on board. But when he said no, the train was willing to leave without him. And the conductor told the little boy... This is your crucial year. In other words, you're at a crossroads of your faith. That you have believed something up until this point that you're questioning now. You're doubting it now. And this year is the crucial year that you decide whether or not you will believe again. But if you don't believe and get on board, the train is willing to leave you behind. So that's the first lesson that I want to teach you about the ticket. The second lesson is this. And most people that didn't grow up where I grew up wouldn't have caught this. After they picked the little boy up, they go to pick up a little boy named Billy. And when the, one of the little children see where they're going to get Billy, they say, we're headed to the other side of the tracks. Now, I grew up in cold country in poor downstate West Virginia. And the other side of the tracks was the undesirables. It was the poor folk. It was the people that didn't have much. The other side of the tracks was where most of your mamas didn't want you to go play. The other side of the tracks was where most of your mamas didn't want you to find a date. The other side of the tracks. I happen to know where the other side of the tracks is because I was born and raised over yonder. But what that shows me about this train is this. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you happen to be on. There's a ticket available for everybody. And they always come looking on both sides of the tracks. So, so it doesn't matter what other folks think about you. It doesn't matter where you were born into. It doesn't matter what your state of existence is. Because they will come looking for you when the train is getting ready to leave. Somebody say amen. And finally, the last thing and the third thing I want to show you about these tickets is there was a little girl there who had lost her ticket. And, and when the conductor was upset that she had lost her ticket, so the little boy offers his ticket and the conductor says, these tickets are not transferable. In other words, no matter how badly somebody else wants you on board, you have to take possession of this ticket for yourself. 
And that's what faith is all about. That's what I've been talking to you about all morning. This is somebody's crucial year. You're here today and, and you thought you were coming just to you know, eat popcorn and, and get some prizes and stuff after a while. And, and, and I'm glad you're here. But you need to understand, this is your crucial year. You, some of you are at a crossroads of whether or not you're going to continue to believe what you have always believed. Or, or the train might leave without you. Because can I, can I just be so bold as to tell you on a Sunday morning in God's house that one day you are taking a mysterious trip. And whether or not you have a ticket is going to determine whether you get left behind or you get to go. You don't know the destination. Listen, I don't know what heaven looks like. All I know is what I've read in the book. All I know, and, and what I've read in the book, don't touch what it really is. I don't know how to get there. I have no GPS coordinates. Google Maps can't find it. I don't know how to bring myself to where it is. I have to believe by faith that I'm holding a ticket and that when they get ready for me to go, I might be on a mysterious journey and I don't know how to get there myself, but I have faith to believe that even if I can't see evidence that it's real, I have put my total faith in that one day my ticket is punched and I'm on my way to a better place than where I am right now. I don't know how to get there. I can't give you directions. But I've got faith that my ticket is in my hand. And I come here this morning to challenge every person in this room to know that you've got your ticket. Because your ticket has been paid for by Jesus Christ. Your ticket is salvation through what he did on the cross. And it's been paid for in full by Jesus. And he didn't stay a baby. He lived, he died, he resurrected, and is still very much alive today. And I can't tell you how to get to where he is, but I'll tell you one day I believe I'm going. And I've got my ticket, and I'm ready. And when the train pulls out, you won't have to tell me this is my crucial year. I'm on board, baby, and I'm ready to go. And if I could give you one piece of advice this morning, it would be to make sure before you leave this room that you've got your ticket in your hand. Because there's nothing here worth missing that train for. This, this may be your crucial year. And I don't mean 2022. I, I mean everything you've been through up to this point. This is the intersection of where you believe or lose faith. That hobo told that little boy that seeing is believing. But when I read Matthew chapter 2 and I read about the Magi, seeing is, is not enough. I, I also have to believe so I can see. And one day I'm going to see the face of my Savior. One, one day I'm going to see my reward. One day I'm going, to I'm going to see my loved ones who went ahead of me and have been waiting on me to get one day I'm going to see streets of gold and gates of pearl and walls of jasper but more importantly than that I'm going to see the face of the one who paid for my ticket and gives me life I'm going to see something that I cannot see 
The Bible said, you can't see my face and live. Which means you will never get the evidence you're looking for now. You have to believe now so you can see later. Because you'll never see his face now. You've got to do what I've done. Decide, I've got my ticket. And wherever that train's going, that's where I'm going. I'm not missing it for anything in this life. I've got one final clip I want to share with you this morning and then we'll come to a close.
Okay. Okay. I believe. I believe. that you said ha I believe I believe I, I believe something in order to believe it but sometimes you'll never see it until after you believe because along the way what you believe gets confirmed in the evidence but what we learn from Matthew chapter 2 is you can have all the evidence and it won't equal faith that's what happened to Herod or you can have none of the evidence and have enough faith that every step you need to know becomes more evidence. So I want to encourage every person in this room. Make sure you've got your ticket. Because I don't know how and I don't know when. But one day, the train is leaving. I've watched loved ones pass from this life to the next. And I couldn't go with them. I, I didn't know what they experienced when they drew their last breath here. By faith. By faith, I believe that their last breath here was their first breath in eternity. I don't know what it's like to live in a world with no sin, no sickness, no sense of time, no hurt, no sorrows, no tears. I don't know that existence, but by faith, I believe that I'm going to spend eternity in the presence of a city who has no light because the Lamb is the light. His Father is on the throne. And He, the lover of my soul that spoke to me when I was an outcast, when He came to the other side of the tracks to hand me a ticket called salvation because He didn't want me to miss the ride. And life is hard. And sometimes it gets so hard that we start gathering evidence. God must not be good. God must not care. God must be absent. 
maybe God doesn't exist. And we start gathering all sorts of evidence about why none of this could work. Because if it worked the way it's supposed to work, I wouldn't feel what I feel. That's why you have to have faith. I'm holding on to my ticket if I have to let go of everything else that this life affords me. I've watched saints of God lose their health but held on to their ticket. I've watched divorces happen and they've let go of the marriage but they held on to the ticket. I've watched bankruptcies come and go and they lost all their worldly possessions but they held on to their ticket because by faith I know that a better time is coming if I don't get it now I know I'm going to get it then and there's only one way for me to get on this train I've got to have my own ticket and they're not transferable so you can't pray hard enough to get somebody else onto the train grandma's prayers doesn't work and doesn't gain you admission you got to get your own ticket and I'm here to tell you it's available for everybody he's no respecter of persons no matter what side of the track you're from no matter how you got here there's a ticket with your name on it I pray you've got it I pray you hold on to it because your happiness now doesn't depend on it, but your eternity depends on it. So if you're here this morning and you're not sure whether or not you have a ticket, if you don't have enough evidence to believe, I'm going to challenge you to be bold. Not so we can judge you, but that we can celebrate with you. Because here's what I know about my God. By the time your hand goes in the air, the work has already been done. Because the Bible says, if I believe in my heart, confess with my mouth, I have salvation. You say, well, I don't feel any different. Well, the Bible didn't say you're going to feel different. The Bible says you'll be saved. You call upon the name of the Lord. Once you've believed in your heart, and you won't raise your hand unless you do. Some of you, some of you, this is your crucial year. Because you've been questioning if all this religion stuff is real, if all this Jesus stuff is real, if prayer really works, if, if, if all this stuff the preachers have been saying all your life, if it's really truthful, this is your crucial year. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have your ticket? And if you're not sure, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to raise your hand. And when you do, I'm believing the work's already done. And I'm going to ask at that moment and agree that the Holy Spirit will confirm in your spirit what I already know, which is you got a ticket in your hand. And when that train leaves, you're going with it. Are you ready? On the count of three, every person in this room. I've been in church my whole life. I didn't ask you that. I asked you, do you have your ticket? One. Pastor, I've been baptized in water. I didn't ask you all that. I asked you, do you have a ticket? Because you can go down a dry center and come up a wet center. Two, Pastor, I've been going to church my whole life. Didn't ask you about that. Didn't ask you if you was a member of the church or if you paid tithes. I'm asking you, do you have your ticket? And are you confident that when the train leaves the station, 
you're going. If not, when I say three, put your hand up in the air. Ready? Three. There's hands all over this room. Father, right now, in the name of your son, Jesus, I ask that you confirm in their spirit what I already know. That their ticket was bought and paid for by you, by your blood, by your sacrifice. And this Christmas season, they're going to hold on to this ticket they're receiving. I want you to repeat after me. Jesus, save me. Thank you for loving me. I repent of all my wrongs. And I need you as my Savior. Help me live for you as you live for me. In Jesus' name, amen. There's about 15 people that just punched a ticket to eternity. Saints of God, hallelujah. Woo! Now listen, you hold on to your ticket not because of works, not because you're going to do right, because you're not. I still question sometimes, where'd my ticket go? Because I've been saved a long time, baptized in the Holy Ghost and all that stuff, and I'm a preacher of the gospel. But every once in a while, my attitude will come out, and I'll be acting like a department store Santa, and I have to be looking for my ticket. I know it's here somewhere. I punched it. I've been holding on to it. I'm not acting, I'm not acting very Santa-like right now. I've got to find my ticket, but thank God when I don't hold on to him, he holds on to me. And there's about 12 or 15 people in this room right now that I'm asking the Holy Spirit to confirm in you what I already know. That you are a child of the Most High God. The work has already been done. Before you ever raised your hand, you believed in your heart. Then we repeated a prayer, which means you confess with your mouth. The work is done. You still wear the same size shoes. Your eye color didn't change. You won't get a new house. You look the same. You still feel the same for a while, but there's something in you that says, I got a ticket. And that ticket entitles me a seat on that track. I don't know when. I don't have any evidence of when that train is pulling up to the station. But I believe when it pulls out, I'm going to be on it. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this house for every person? All four weeks that have given their hearts to the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We commend each one of these into your presence and into your spirit. We pray, God, that every person that has made this confession of faith would find someone to confide in. Tell them, I'm saved. I've given my heart to the Lord or I've rededicated myself to, to Jesus Christ. I'm living for Him now. And God, let them get plugged into the church. Let them get plugged into your word. And let them have an infusion of your spirit. Mighty Son of God, thank you. Thank you for these four weeks. Thank you for the witness of your anointing, which is the salvation of souls. And all the work that you're doing in these people's lives. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Are you grateful for the Holy Ghost doing His work in God's house? My God, my God, my God, my God. I think my wife is 
in the room. When you walk into the room, sickness has to flee. So, do we, we've already given out the tickets. Woo! Does everyone possess a ticket? If you do not, please raise your hand. And, and this is not existential. This has nothing to do with the sermon. And we mean actual physical tickets. <laughs> okay, there's people over here. <laughs> there's one on the stage, Brother Todd. <laughs> I've been talking about tickets so much, people got confused. Uh, I thought we just did that. I mean real tickets this time. <laughs> There's people behind you over there, one up on the stage. <laughs> Thanks, sir. Okay. 